0: Stop. Sure, you want the rest of it? Dirty Harry Miller. Dirty.
1: Welcome back to Dirty Harry Minute, the only podcast in the world to review every minute of that 1971 Warner Brothers classic starring Andy Robinson. I'm one of your hosts, John. Apologies for normal co-hosts Tim and Trent not present, but we have recurring guests, Shane. Hello. How are you, Shane? I'm well, thanks. And you've brought another recurring guest named... Mandy.
2: Hi, everyone.
1: Thanks for coming, Mandy.
2: Pleasure to be here.
1: Now, listeners will know Mandy has still not seen the movie in its entirety. Is that correct?
2: That is incorrect. I have actually now since watched the movie. Actually, yesterday.
1: Wow.
3: So, it's very current. Did you like it? I did like it. Oh, it would have been real awkward if you're like, this yeah. is the worst. <laughs> I hated it. Every minute uh, was the worst.
2: Yeah, I did find myself breaking it down, going, well, that doesn't make it make any sense. But then Shane did remind me that it was made a long time ago and I should calm down with that.
3: I heard there's a podcast that will review every succinct minute. So if you need like
1: something cleared up. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what's your take on Amanda? You've just seen it recently. What's the real reason of the many that they call him Dirty Harry? What's your preferred? Is he just oh, a, great is he a peeping tom? Is he breaking <laughs> the law? Is he a smelly man? Is he a smelly man? I'm
2: not. I'm look. I'm not sure to be honest.
1: As um, we approach um, the end, mine is more. He just hates everyone. Like the uh, the racial epithets we get at the start. He's like Noel Gallagher. He just hates everyone. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Well, yeah. thank you for joining us, Mandy. We have another returning guest, Jordan. Jordan. Hey guys,
3: how you going? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be back. It's um. Yeah, I, it's been a long time since I watched the film now because I watched it when we did the last podcast. I haven't seen it since. So this would be interesting to remember all the things that have happened between the last minute and this minute.
1: <laughs> Great. Well, thanks for joining us, Jordan. And we are very, very delighted to have a guest stateside. One part of the Minutes of the Eight podcast. We have Todd. Welcome, Todd.
4: Well, thank you, guys. I'm glad to be here.
1: Are you a big Dirty Harry fan?
4: You know, the crazy thing was, is that, no, I'm not. Um, My dad is a psychologist, and so he always told me the evils of movies where people run around with guns in their hands saying, you know, do you want to know how many bullets are left? But I went to film school here in America, and eventually I kind of was forced to watch it. At that point, I went, hey, it's a really well-made movie. So I I guess I kind of have a weird relationship with it.
1: (laughs) Well, Jordan, what did you think of this? Oh, sorry. This is Minute 94. The minute begins with Scorpio climbing some stairs with Harry in keen pursuit and ends with Scorpio fleeing up yet another set of
3: stairs. What did you think of this minute, Jordan? Uh, I actually think this minute's maybe one of the weaker minutes in the action sequences in this film, just because Dirty Harry makes some really dumb decisions. Uh, at one point, he hops on just like a railway of coal, which is <laughs> moving far slower than the... Um, Scorpio Killer is able to limp. So maybe not the fastest way to move through that. Like there. So in the minute he hops on that and it's clearly moving a lot slower than he could just walk and or run. And it makes him much easier to shoot. So oh, I
5: thought that too. It makes him
3: much easier to shoot because he's going at a constant speed. Look
1: how slow he's moving.
3: <laughs> Grandpa's speed. And how long it takes him to get off. It's just such a weird decision to make. Why not just sprint it and catch up to him?
5: It kind of looks, the cinemagraphic, it looked nice, but that was not a practical decision.
1: No. <laughs> what do you think of this action,
4: qu- quotes action scene, Todd? I mean, it'd be quite different if it was filmed today. Well, what's funny for me is that I, I, I kind of find myself envious of this action because so much of what we've done with Men of the Apes here lately, you know, the first film has so much great action. And then, frankly, the second film in the Apes saga sucks, just flat out sucks. And <laughs> it, it, I, I even though jumping in and I kind of purposely thought I've seen this movie before, I'm not going to watch a lot of before, I'm going to jump in just on a minute. It's shot beautifully. I mean, interesting angles, stuff going on, even though I don't quite understand riding the conveyor belt, that that whole thing in that minute, that that really confuses me how that served Harry at all.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I remember um, commenting and thinking to myself, that's a great location for this kind of chase sequence because you've got narrow little areas and I felt like I knew the layout enough that I wasn't confused where they're running, but they could have been running back and forwards up the same stairs for all I knew. So, yeah, it was well shot and well put together. It's just an interesting spot to have a shootout.
3: I guess the point is, though, is he's in a building going upstairs and the building doesn't go anywhere or lead to anything. So, why wouldn't you just wait for a bit for him to come back down with just an anonymous tip? Like, you don't need to chase him up the stairs into this building. Like, just wait for him. Like, also, the dude's limping. Well, I mean, his limping doesn't make a lot of sense, but... You, surely you could just shoot him like slowly traveling up the stairs instead of sprinting after him. Just shoot him from slightly further away. His limping makes sense,
5: doesn't it? He's, he's had a knife to the leg, yeah?
3: It makes sense that he's limping, but he's, he puts more weight on the like...
2: The bad leg?
5: Yeah, like he does three
3: <laughs> steps and then a hop. Well, maybe that's like he's been favoring the other leg so long that now he's got a cramp in these good legs. You can't actually tell which leg is meant to be sore.
5: He's kind of dancing in that sequence. It's like singing in the rain.
1: Now, Todd, one of the things I love about Minutes of the Ape is you guys really delve into uh, shot construction and the meaning behind certain shots and points of views. That's a level of um, right. a level of intelligence that we don't usually meet on this podcast. <laughs> do you think there's any reason why they've why does why does Scorpio have a dirty bum. Why are his pants dirty? And he, I mean, Harry's actually fallen into a, a grain of corn or, or, or sandstone or something. And Harry's relatively unmarked. Is there a reason why they've given Scorpio a dirty bottom?
4: <laughs> you know, that's funny. I, 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 As you said that, I thought, oh, God, now we've got to go look. And sure enough, the guy has a dirty ass. Um... <laughs> You know, you know, you go back and, and this is, this is where I end up being the, the guy on men of the apes that does this simply because again, I, I studied this, but the seventies the filmmaking in America was all about that deconstruction of every element of it. And I would guarantee you, I would almost guarantee you at this time, somebody went along and said, we have to make them dirty. Because if you look at American cinema before this, you didn't make anybody dirty. Even the heroes would come up with the gun. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, the villains would come up with a gun in their hand out of the dirt and not have a bit on them. I, I wish there was something funny I could put to that other than the fact that the guy does have a curiously dirty bum.
5: <laughs> does it help us as the audience to work out when we see someone running away from screen who we're seeing? Are we seeing dirty butt guy or clean butt guy? <laughs> <laughs>
4: No, I was just going to ask curiously that, you know, because eventually when Harry gets off the conveyor belt, he's got Dirty dirty Crotch Guy. And so, is there anything to the Dirty <laughs> Bone versus the Dirty Crotch? Oh, that would have been a good title for the film.
1: It's just another reason they call him yes. Dirty Harry. Yeah. Uh- for that
3: one scene just there where Scorpio leaves that section, does he have a dirty butt? No, no we're getting stuck on the dirty butt thing. <laughs> but if you rewind just a couple of seconds, I don't think his jeans were as dirty when he left, which doesn't make sense maybe a continuity error right there oh. continuity error uh oh. yes mm-hmm. well spotted
1: nailed well it spotted. get straight onto imdb <laughs> oh i'm on it right now <laughs> well mandy what, what do you think of harry's three-piece brown suit it's um a lot of guests we love the earlier like the the red the jumper red we love the red sweater but no. i just think there's too much business there's too much do you like this suit
2: I mean, from a purely, like, fashion perspective, I think a brown suit's always a really good choice. Really? Yeah, I do, actually. Oh. Yeah, I like a brown suit. I'm a I'm a 70s gal. I like all of the brown, warm shades. Give <laughs> me all the oranges and the browns and, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I think it's... I'm trying to remember what he where he was prior to this point. Like, was he at the mayor's office?
1: Yeah, the, the day so, started off there. Yeah, yeah,
2: so was he looking a bit spruce for that situation and... And here he is again, Dirty Harry, in a dirty moment, even though he's wearing his nice brown suit. He seems
5: always to start the day well-dressed, doesn't he? Mm. He doesn't dress in his tracky
3: dacks. I think today he was just like, you know what, today I'm going to be on a coal mill, so
1: I'll wear something dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If we just go back to the start of the minute, just uh, one of my quotes, it says, Siegel had a good sense of visual storytelling. And his use of the lurching verticality of San Francisco as a sniper's dream terrain are still very effective. Do you agree with that, Todd?
4: (laughs) I think that's a little over-analytical for it, but yeah, you know, the thing about Siegel, Siegel made some great films. Siegel was a great director, and, you know, again, I'm not the biggest fan of this film, but... There's no arguing if, as far as what he's done visually and what it tells, you know, the shots through the stairs instead of simply a, a generic shot that would make a television going up from behind it, he's pretty imaginative, at least with his camera work.
1: I agree. I think this may have been a good opportunity to contrast the start of the film where the, he's sniping the girl in the crochet swimsuit, and here is like a repeat, but the the victim's getting, rec- you know, the victim is getting some revenge and. Um, I don't know. I would have liked to have seen a shot like that.
4: One vi- one visual motif that I found very interesting is if you look at the shots of Scorpio, Scorpio is continuously hidden behind wooden elements where Harry's almost continuously running into open areas of wooden elements. And just yeah. to create that confusion of the 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 villain being separated from our hero, our hero being vulnerable in the open, that's where, to me, Siegel is at least a director of that era that understood that he has to give a visual Motif to his villain that's different than his hero Wow
5: Does it remind you of a western? Because you've got a lot of wood and you've got um, bullets ricocheting off the wood and this kind of thing
1: Yeah, you can certainly view it that way <sighs> We've got a nice, another quote here guys about Harry's suit It goes Unlike some of the homicide inspectors who could easily have been mistaken for Montgomery Street stockbrokers Harry looked like just what he was, an overworked cop in a cheap suit. Does it look cheap to you, Mandy? <laughs> Bit of a dig for no reason, Dirty Harry's. Uh, yeah.
3: wow. Clint Eastwood, who just brought his own suit to set, is just like, oh, man,
4: what's wrong with my
2: suit? <laughs> right? I really like the tie. It doesn't seem like that much of a cheap suit. I mean, I don't think it reeks of money, but then he's a cop, right? It's not like he's, you know, unless he's the bag, bag man for... Bad guys. I don't think he's.
3: I really like the vest. <laughs> I think you can definitely overanalyze. That's what um, we're here to do. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no. Oh yeah, no. I'm aware of we that. We can't. <laughs> I just. I remember watching um the old westerns that Clint Eastwood did. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, few dollars more and a fistful of dollars. I think that trilogy. That trilogy was called, and I remember being like. Really into it and wondering like you know how they decided on the wardrobe and all of those things and then later I found out that half of that costume is something that Clint would bought at an airport yeah, like on the way the day yeah. so you're like oh I wonder how long it took for them to decide which shade of brown it's like probably would probably just went here's a suit store at like a Salvo's <laughs> and went that'll do i'm a tall man this is the only one that fits me (laughs) it's like that ill-fitting suit and he's like this is the only suit that fits
1: now todd yes in dallas in winter does it ever get cold enough that some of your policemen would wear or inspectors plain clothes policemen would wear three-piece suits or is your are your winters pretty pretty warm
4: uh you know dallas is is Pretty much a warm Texas is a warm area. Uh, we're actually having a cold snap a little bit right now. I got down into the 30s last night, but, you know, you're not ever going to see a cop around here wearing a three piece suit. They're always going to be in the typical regalia with, you know, the jackets and the badges and hats and all that kind of thing. I think you might see some detectives in, in like downtown Dallas, but God knows I'd never look for them. And hopefully I've not done anything to warrant them looking at me. <laughs>
1: Do, do policemen have the right to carry their own arm or do they have to have their issue? Is Texas a state where you can have your own, bring your own gun to work, so to speak, or do they have the the standard nine millimeters? Or- well,
4: as far as cops go, I don't, I, I don't know about that. I don't know what their issue is, uh, you know, unfortunately, and I'm not trying to get political. I'm not a big fan of the carry the gun around kind of thing. But in Texas, there are d- citizens that get to carry their guns around and that obviously makes a lot of us very nervous.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully they don't get forty-four magnums. Um,
4: God help me, no.
1: This is a great location, um, Jordan. Yeah, I mean, probably I wouldn't say it's the first movie to have like, like classic noir movies end in, in these sort of locations at factories or abandoned mills and stuff. And
3: yeah, but it's it's a nice callback to that because I guess with a lot of cop shows that happen back then, a lot of it was always just on a street. And a lot of the action that happens in this movie is like, you know, we've got we've got a bit of a shootout in an abandoned park, but a lot of it is just in streets in whatever city they happen to be filming in at the time. So I guess this is a bit more secluded. So there's a little less of the law and public opinion in this scene and a lot more of just two guys having a gunfight. It sort of takes away all the stuff that this movie has been talking about in terms of the pressures of society and what should be done right and wrong here and it's far more just about who's going to come out on top in this situation which i guess i really like it sort of it it becomes an allegory to seclude them from the politics in the film that's talked about prior to this moment
1: to anyone in the room with me now do you think sovereign hill when you think of this movie
5: <laughs> a little
3: bit <laughs> A little bit. i mean it would be very different if instead of this they were dressed In, like, 18th century clothing and... (laughs) Panning for dolls. You know, learning to say
1: the alphabet backwards, but... (laughs) I was thinking more of, like, three-pin bowling rather than a gravel conveyor belt. It was like a, you know, like in There Will Be Blood or something.
5: Is that what what it is? It's a gravel quarry?
1: I think they're processing gravel or stone from... Previous guest um, Daniel was saying this part of the Marin County or whatever is... It has a lot of asbestos, serpentine rock that they used to make asbestos out of, which adds another lane.
3: (laughs) So it doesn't matter what happens, both of these characters are going to die. are going
1: to die. Yeah, it's going to go real badly for them. Yeah, Todd, if they remade this, this particular movie now, do you think they'd be tempted to somehow have Chico enter the frame and come help Harry?
4: You know... That that is honestly, so we talk about the eras of 70s cinema when when people were taking chances, especially 71. The problem with American cinema now is it is so formulaic that by all means they would and it would this would become a buddy movie. Harry would have none of that, that kind of that feel of the guy that was technically doing almost what was wrong to some extent. And, you know, yeah, they would God help us if they ever remake this movie because they will just absolutely screw it up. Oh, they definitely will. That's happening in the next five years.
3: Reboot, absolutely. It'll be like Keanu Reeves
1: <laughs> and
3: it'll be Dirty Harry, except it'll be a black suit and a gun and it'll just be him calling people breathtaking and then probably shooting them. Especially, now I kind of want to see it. I don't know, I've talked myself into this.
1: What made me think of that, Todd, was in your recent episodes of Escape from the Planet of the Apes, you talk about the third um aponaut what was it called um um milo how milo's killed off really early and in a way in 70s filmmaking sometimes they have these things just happen really quickly and you think hey no you could have developed that character more or it could have served as a a harbinger for something later on in, in the script and so that's what made me think about chico's use in this movie he's just he's gone you know
4: yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good correlation because these also came out the same year and so you're looking at somebody like Siegel who is a, gr- a really well-versed filmmaker who at least has the discretion not to do those kind of things, but man, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right with Escape. That's been one thing that w- I, I think we will probably beat to a pulp of why does cinema of that era feel the need to introduce a character who's full of knowledge and then just go and get rid of them. So, that, that's a good question.
1: Chico is one of by consensus, previous guest Chico is a lot of our favorite character. Yeah. We wanted to see more about him, <laughs> but he's
4: gone. I'm afraid, I'm afraid, though, if you add him in that you would end up with it being Lethal Weapon, and God knows we don't need any more Lethal Weapon.
1: <laughs> That's right. And, of course, the cinematographer Bruce Surtees of Dirty Harry later goes on to, um, to photograph the next one, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. So look forward to his great cinematography there in, in Darkness, yeah.
4: Well, I, it's funny you say that because I saw that today and I thought, you know, some of my favorite cinematography in the entire Ape series comes in conquest and, uh, and, and forgive me because the names come so quick and it's like one of my stomach blocks. Is it Maggie? Who's not seen the, this film up until now? Now it's Mandy. Mandy. <laughs> Mandy. Mandy. That's the uh, disadvantage of hearing over a headphone. But so one of my guys that I host it with, Sean, has never seen any of the Planet of the Apes. And, wow. you know, I, I get the, <laughs> the thrill of kind of talking to him about these kind of things. So I can't imagine, in a way, almost not having seen this movie. It, Apes films are easy to step into and never see them before. But Dirty Harry, this had to be kind of a... A wild trip to watch this for the first time with other people dissecting it minute by minute.
2: Yeah, it really was. It was it was terrifying because I've never done I had never done a podcast before. A and B. I had no idea what I was talking about. So yeah, it was it was tricky. But then it kind of gives you the opportunity to just look at it in isolation and um, and maybe pick up some things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise.
4: Absolutely. I I totally see that. I mean, that's the crazy thing doing these minute by minute. And I think that those of us who've done it have that unique perspective of it's almost to the point that you break down such minutiae that you're even beyond what the film is about and you start seeing things and possibilities. So, I just applaud you for doing it in that same way.
1: <laughs> Sometimes it's difficult, Todd, like um, the earliest scenes in the movie, the Peeping Tom scenes, right? We sort of feel mm-hmm. we're, talk- we're talking 25 minutes about this this voyeurism are we complicit are we applauding this reviewing it trying to find excuses for what harry's doing and um sometimes it's quite tough um yeah
5: and you're giving equal weight to that minute
1: yeah um yeah well i mean in the novelization um you've got this all transpires in just a few pages But you have Scorpio at several times, like, going, Hey, you missed me, pig! Get me cupper, And just interacting with Harry. Would you have liked to have seen that in this this part, Jordan? Uh, I don't think I would
3: have. I think if you have time in these kind of moments to stop and think of a quip to shout out, (laughs) you're probably not putting enough effort into (laughs) running for your life.
1: But Tourette's, like, just go, "Eh, eh, eh, ah," Like he does later in the movie. Yeah,
3: to an extent. I think it would have taken away from this scene. I think... One of the great things about the scene is if you get really sucked into it you honestly don't know who's going to come out of this on top like I mean to an extent you know in the film your hero is probably going to win but in moments like this you don't know which one's going to get winged or shot in the arm or shot in the leg and there's a certain amount of tension in that but that would be taken away if you felt like both of them had time to sort of grunt or talk or react I think it's it's adrenaline in this scene It's sheer determination from Harry and it's sheer, almost like, almost fear from Scorpio, I think. And yeah, I guess if you put too much thought into their, not into their characters, but if you give their characters too much time to think in these scenes and that, momentum gets sort of broken yeah Yeah. totally agree and not knowing the length of the movie i was
5: wondering is he going to slip away and we're not going to catch the bad guy again this is going to be another like so i had that kind of feeling about it just watching it recently
3: oh imagine if that he gets away and then you're like cool now there's another 20 minutes of another inspector telling harry that he shouldn't be Shooting without permission. Yeah, well, and then he goes to another abandoned field and kicks him in the leg or something.
5: Yeah, and if it was made today, there'd be another hour to go in the film.
3: <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> it'd be, yeah.
3: And it'd just it'd just be another abandoned warehouse or like yeah. the end of Terminator Two, like that molten magma like mill. It'd just be another one of those. Lowering Scorpion down <laughs> in Scorpio into down. some lava.
1: <laughs> now Clint apparently remembered this. Location in this quarry from his childhood, when he used to catch the ferry across the bay with his parents. Um, can anyone remember good locations from their childhood that they are adamant should be should be in a movie? Oh, I mean, been-
3: I grew up in the country, so I mean, everything looks like a western. I was actually I helped a mate out just a week ago with one of their student films, where I was um, a hard nosed cop. No, I was I, I I was actually like an abusive husband, but it was a western. And we shot it just at one of our mates like place because he had 20 acres and he had this beautiful old like gum tree and all the leaves pretty much died on it. And just he, uh, my mate, he's in our podcast, Brody. He's one of the co-hosts, but he's just got a really good eye for cinematography and he'd set it up so that it looked like this wide open plain with one tree and just everywhere I grew up looks like something like that. This is really, really cool. Nice. I was
5: just thinking of Bell Street Maccas down the road. Why? No, I was just thinking about it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> After this, we should just go up <laughs>
5: <laughs> No, that sounds beautiful. All those location, country locations, and then it'll be Australiana sort of with, uh, with yeah. the um, gum trees, so you could weave that into it.
3: Well, I mean, I I live on a street called uh, Honor Avenue, and if you Google Macedon Honor Avenue, it's actually a tourist location during autumn because you basically have what ends up being a tunnel. Of just this bright orange and red trees. All right. Looks beautiful. I don't know what type of film you'd shoot there. Maybe even like a, like a samurai type film. Be pretty cool
5: though. I also live in an area that's an international tourist location. Because they shoot neighbors in Vermont where I'm from. So it's, it's not really called Ramsey Street. <laughs> well, you wouldn't know it because they always uh, have the street signs stolen. But, uh, yeah, that, that's my claim to fame, yeah.
1: Now, Todd, not to bore you, but I've got another quote from the novelization. You okay. <laughs> this is Harry in the novelization, speaking, I think, to, to Chico's wife. We had beat cops when I was a kid. When I was six years old, I threw a brick at one of them. He picked it up and threw it right back. They didn't teach cops sociology in those days. I don't know. Maybe we were all better off I just don't know
5: Is that legitimately a quote? Yep
1: yeah. Wow Todd do you think cops should be taught sociology? Do you think cops should be taught sociology? <laughs> I mean I'm sure they, they are
4: well, you know, it's funny, it, it, look, I'm not trying to get too personal, but the weird thing is I got a teenager who's about to go up to college and you know what she wants to study is forensic psychology. My dad, wow. again, was a psychologist and my kid comes by it all, so I think if anything, cops probably need that. And I don't know if you guys have ventured into the, uh, the wonderful show on Netflix called Mindhunter about the people who learn to break down serial killer behavior that they now teach to cops. I think Harry could use a little more sociology. I think Harry could use a lot more of pretty much
3: any kind of form of communication and understanding of other people's psychology. He seems consistently <laughs>
1: dazed. I mean, this was a time when the, you know, the public weren't really aware of serial killers, were they? I mean, sociopathy or whatever it's called was understood, the violent criminal, the hood, you know, in the noir sense. But psychopathy, you know, where murder itself, where murder is the motive, pure and simple, was pretty much unknown to the public at large, wasn't it?
5: Although Harry knows he will kill again because he enjoys it.
1: Yeah, Harry has has some nascent understanding of this new type of criminal that the or at least he can condense it to patterns. There are patterns of behaviour that people are addicted to. Yeah, he'll go far. He'll go far. But of course, Todd, in your movie it's not until in your series, it's not until the last movie that the apes are even aware that ape cannot kill ape, you know that ape can kill ape that it's a possible thing but um the idea back then that you could kill for fun
4: yeah you know I just don't I don't know in in, in America if that that idea had permeated enough a, out to be part of cinema you know to your point I I don't know exactly when we started looking at serial killers like you know Scorpio slash Zodiac that what do they do? Why do they do it? How do they do it, etc.? So, I don't think they were ready to even confront it. And, 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 you know, I do think the Apes movies, what they do a pretty good job is a couple of years after something becomes prevalent in the American culture of what we're talking about politically, socially, they begin to reflect it there. But you're absolutely right. When it gets to the final film in that original series, that's when they really start hounding home that idea of not killing each other. And now that's all of a sudden now you've opened the door of things I got to think about when we get there, too. So...
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, Todd, the big question we always ask our guests and we hate asking it but we have to is this a fascist film as Pauline Kale said? Or is it irresponsibly giving the green light to vigilanteism? Or is it just a story of hey, this could happen, hmm? How do you deal with this? Mm-hmm. Is it a fascist film?
4: So, you know, I was raised by a man who loved cinema. And one of the first books he gave me was a book of Pauline Kael reviews. And I kind of agree with her a bit, but I also find her undyingly pretentious. (laughs) Um, So, I, I, you know, I would love to say it's a bit of escapism, but I do, you know, unfortunately, especially here in America, people get this kind of stuff and they start thinking that it's You know, a calling card to them to go out and do what they want. And it's the wonderful thing about living in a quote unquote free society with a democracy where you can be who you want to be within the social laws. I I worry about films like this, Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's the responsibility of the filmmaker to necessarily say this is the way you have to live. They get to say what they want to say and I think that oftentimes something like this is a reflection upon their views and how they feel that you know society is existing right now. They don't have any other way than to send a cop out there who has no limits and to blow people away. So the problem is is I think for American cities especially that next about 10 to 15 years, all we got were cops that were you know going to blow people away and it just it's so tiresome.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, I agree. I think it shouldn't be the responsibility of a filmmaker to have to think about whether their film is dictating to the public how to act. Because once you start doing that, then every movie is dictated by social political correctness. And at that point, there's not much point making a movie because you can only make a movie about what people are already doing or thinking. And therefore, what's the point of seeing a film? Yeah.
5: I, I think this um, film's very open. Like, it t- shows you the tension of following the rules and it shows you the shortcomings of breaking the rules. So, I think they they deal, they handle with that topic really n- gracefully and it's quite balanced. And I don't find it preachy one way or the other.
1: Do you think the silent majority in the late 60s, you know, suburban mums and dads going to this movie would be like, yeah you know, this, there's, there's too many rights for criminals and um, yeah. who's going to stand up for the little guy? I think this
3: movie paints perspective. I think movie, it's a movie, like when you do a movie like this, its job is to, it, in the same way as a comedian, it forces you to have an idea. It gives you one side of an argument or one side of a perspective so it can tell a story the way it wants to tell it. So you can watch this movie and be like, yeah, criminals do have too many rights because when you watch this movie, that's what it depicts but it's also avoiding showing the other side of that coin on Well, purpose. let's not use the shorthand criminals. Let's say suspected criminals. Sure. That's suspected. the whole point. Yeah. People that may or may not have done suspicious activities. Um, but this movie is painted to depict the bad guys getting away with too much so that Dirty Harry has an excuse to go outside the law and so that we have an excuse to watch a good action film.
1: Well, this is definitely Harry's... This is Harry's movie, right? Yeah, exactly. But watching it minute by minute... I'm more interested in the Scorpio bit. Yeah.
3: uh, yeah. (laughs) A hero is only as good as its villain.
1: Yeah. True. Um, Fun fact. Clint Eastwood was on the re-elect Nixon committee in 71 or 2 when this movie came out. You know? Wow. Creep or whatever it was called. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I just found that out. He was on the re-elect committee. Just a part of the celebrities, you know, trying to raise fundraising for Nixon's second term. In what year? 72 or what? That's more of a Todd question, I think. The 72, the Watergate, just before Watergate, trying to get...
5: Yeah, so what could he do, write an article for the newspaper? or <laughs>
1: Probably just spoke at a few events or spoke oh. to a few chairs. He just threatened to
3: shoot people if they didn't. He was just dirty hurrying about.
5: Because now you'd be on a viral video, but I guess that didn't really apply.
1: <laughs> Todd, have you seen J. Edgar?
4: No, I never saw that, actually. You're not missing a lot. <laughs> um,
1: it's basically a glorified TV movie That's got Leo DiCaprio in it And um, right. I mean As foreigners we know vaguely The, the rumours about J. Edgar Being a narcissist About being a control freak And threatening blackmailing politicians And just being a crusading Sort of anti-communist in the FBI um, But there's some parallels with this movie Because I've written them down It was a time in America when J Edgar was, you know, forming the FBI. That America was fearing the the Bolshevik threat. The early nineteen tens. Obviously, we have now the compare that to Dirty Harry, the sixties, the permissiveness. Um, Hoover had to, when the FBI was being formed, they had no legal rights. They had no legal rights to own guns. Um, They weren't control. You know, they weren't. They didn't have jurisdiction over kidnapping. They didn't really have any rights. And so there's that scene where Leo's Leo DiCaprio is giving them the guns, like, you know, you're not allowed to have these because I'm not a registered uh, force, so to speak. And Hoover is like Harry. He's obsessed with deviance. You know, he sees, he says, I should have 10,000 names by the end of the month. And, you know, he sort of knows all the hot Marys and he's obsessed with, you know, old fashioned values that Harry is. So I thought it was a bit, little bit of a companion piece to Dirty Harry. Hmm. Yeah. But I wouldn't rush to
4: check. If it I out. ever if I ever see it on HBO here one, late one night, maybe I'll subject myself to it, but then again it doesn't sound like i probably would want to do that.
1: <laughs> Is that modern? Like what year was that? I think it's 2011 or something.
3: <laughs> all the best films came out in 2011. <laughs> <I laughs> That's <think> probably <of> one. <laughs> it's like four reboots of RoboCop. That's all we got.
1: Here's another quote, guys. The first three Dirty Harry movies offer a tour down a scuzzy side street of mainstream 70s cinema. With their helicopter shots, no second-take performances, and light jazz soundtracks, they were the kind of movies that seemed to define the decade as a low point in Hollywood. Uh, What do you think,
3: Jordan? I disagree. I think it actually defines it as a point in Hollywood where they were starting to take some more risks. The fact that they didn't do second takes makes the films feel a lot more raw, and it also makes it feel gritty. And I think for this type of film, you need that element of grit. You need, you, like an audience can tell. They don't necessarily can identify exactly what it is. But you can see a film like this and know that there was an element of grit and an element of rawness when they filmed it. And that comes across when you watch it and adds to the performances. So I don't think it was a low point at all. I think I'd love more films like this. More films that are a bit rough around the edges.
1: You like this movie, Shane?
5: Yep, yeah, I don't think there's any, like, boring parts to it. It all, like, moves pretty quickly. You get to see a lot of um, locations end-to-end, and it makes sense. Like, it all fits together quite well. Uh, It doesn't really matter that we don't get much of the backstory of the two main uh, characters. You follow them and you you get invested in it. Yeah, it works well.
4: I like it. It stands up.
1: Todd, are you happy with the amount of backstory... Such as as it is we get from Scorpio.
4: Was I happy with it? Is that what you said?
1: Yeah. Is it good enough? In fact, it doesn't exist. It, his backstory. Are you happy I, with
4: it? I, I I hate to say it that I, you know, uh I, I kept going back to the, the the wonderful David Fincher film of Zodiac and I kept thinking there's so much there that I, I almost felt like I was plugging in for it. So that should be the answer in and of itself. No, there's there's nothing. It's you know, it. it I, I watch villains like that, and especially at the end where they're just sneering, and when he grabs the... I know I'm jumping ahead in your minutes, and if Richard from my show were here, this is when he'd be screaming at me that I'm jumping ahead, but guess what? <laughs> I don't get to talk about the future minutes, so I'm going to talk about him anyway. Um, Do it! When Scorpio grabs the kid later on, I'm like, hey, why does it have to be a sneering, sniveling moment? You know, there's there's no pathos to this villain other than craze, and it's... I. I don't want to knock the movie, but I find that just—I found that kind of boring. It's not menacing. It's not terrifying.
3: Yeah, I think if you gave too much backstory to this character, I think it'd take some of what makes it scary out of it. I think the th- the good thing about not having a backstory for him is it does make you think that anyone at any point in time could just be a psycho like this. Mm. Sometimes movies go a little too heavy to be like. Well, he was an orphan and then he was, like, beaten Mm. as a kid and then he lost his job. And then and you have all of these really, like, consistent, bad things that happened to them to make him this way. And it makes it feel far more unlikely that anyone could snap like that. Like, you have to have a really particular set of, like, background happenings to get here. Whereas by not knowing what happened, there's an element of thinking that this guy just snapped one day. And I do kind of like that. But at the same time, I think... Since this movie, I, I can't I can't speak too much about before this film because I don't say I know a lot about cinema in the 70s, but at least since this film, we had so many generic bad guys that were just evil for the sake of being evil. And I think it's important now, less so then, but far more important now that we do have some reasoning as for that so that we care at all. Because if you give zero background to the bad guy, then you just know they're going to lose because why would they win? Yeah. Yeah, I,
5: I, I don't mind not knowing the background. And I feel like I used to watch movies wanting the backstory to make sense. Oh, yeah, uh, like Norman Bates, sort of uh, a weird relationship with his mother. Okay, that, that that kind of squares the circle for me and I can rationalize why they act so crazy. And I think now I don't really want that because I think it's more realistic that people act crazy. They just act crazy and trying to put... Um, a nice neat narrative behind it It, yeah i think a bit of what you were just saying jordan it just seems a bit contrived a bit um too lumped on later and like that post hoc rationalization but that's not the way life works sometimes it's just crazy happens for crazy reasons and it's not like a nice straight line from one to the other yeah. You know, so- sane to insane or something like that.
3: Yeah, well, I think the other thing is, is that a lot of this movie is from Harry's perspective. And I guess yeah. in this scenario, Harry doesn't know. He doesn't know, yeah. Um, and a lot of times in things like this, like you don't, like backstories yeah. for bear guys like in real life. Yes. That stuff doesn't come out until the court hearings, until there is yeah. debates as to whether you can justify his actions or not. And at that point, you know, that's when the backstory sort of will come out in real life. And so at yeah. this point in time, Harry doesn't need to know his backstory. He knows he's doing the wrong thing. His job is to catch him. The problem with this film is he's not planning on catching him. Well, there's just enough hints as well that you
5: can make your own backstory for this character. And I found myself thinking, gun nut, because I mentioned that. And he does use different... He uses uses different guns, like his sniping rifle and then his automatic weapon or whatever. So I'm like, yeah, okay, gun nut, that sort of makes sense. And um, ex-military, John, you've you've, you've thought perhaps, yeah. Maybe if he uh,
1: was ex-military, he'd be... He would have shot Harry when Harry jumps onto the conveyor belt or he'd have a bit more, rather than just run away, he'd be a bit more strategic. Uh,
5: We don't need a scene where, oh, we've done his background check and he's been analysed and he's had some post-traumatic stress disorder in his past and he's gone off his medication and who cares? And the government's
3: cancelled the subsidy. (laughs) Well, the other thing is when you go down that path, I think a lot of movies are making this mistake. And very recently um, on my podcast, we just reviewed a movie called The Joker. And a point that we didn't bring up in our podcast, but we had a discussion about afterwards was a lot of films that put too much emphasis on people having psychological disorders is it makes the, makes the audience and it makes people genuinely think that if you have any kind of psychological disorder, you're more likely to be aggressive. And it actually really poorly paints people that have social disorders. I think if you have too many movies, it's like, yeah, well, they're bad because they have... Trauma in their past or they're yeah. bad because they have a social disorder. And if you're one of those people that have a social disorder and you're trying to overcome those things yeah. and every movie is painting you as a bad guy. It's like in those 80s flicks where every bad guy was like German. Yeah. Imagine being a German during those times. Where- or English, every- sort of Jeremy Irons. Yeah, it's like every film, you're just the bad guy because. Yeah. And I, I think if you're just like, well, he's bad because he has social trauma. It's like, well, it's kind of a dick thing to just to
1: put it all on that. Mandy, do you think Harry's on the spectrum himself?
2: Oh, um, gosh, I'm not. Well, I'm not a doctor. I I don't know. I don't know. But it's very um, common these days, as you're saying, Jordan, to sort of say, well, they're on the spectrum. I mean, look at Greta Thunberg, for example, right now. You know, the fact that she's, you know, Aspie means that she shouldn't be taken seriously. I don't know. He might be, but does it matter?
1: No, it doesn't. I just want to know if his spiel about six shots or only five, if that's part of his sort of a Tourette's re- response that's to all the criminals yeah. in his life. Well, Todd, I like in this minute, Todd, how it's in beautiful, sunny daylight. You know, growing up on 80s films, Die Hard and everything, you're taught, oh, all action films have to end at night, preferably with mo- with water on the ground and the asphalt. And um, do you think it's it's taking place at high noon sort of as a nod to the Western or I'm really impressed that it takes place at daylight, aren't you?
4: You know, that's, that's an interesting idea. I I can't, without having the budget in front of me, I can't help but wonder if it isn't simply because, you know, what was the budget of the film? Were they trying to make for maximum exposure and they're not trying to bring in lights and their production costs are brought down. Did they think through to do it at high noon. I don't know. But, you know, you think about what Clint Eastwood did with Sergio Leone, the guy he, he understood and as an influence to bring it in, how to do things on the cheap and get them done. So, I, I don't know. That's an interesting thought. I would have really alluded more again towards the cutting of budget than I would have high noon, but I kind of like the idea now truly making it a Western type thing.
5: I thought it was like a bookend to the brightness of where we start at the film. And then a lot of the midsection of the movie is dark at night. What's going on? Could we even see this if we're watching this on a small screen?
1: Most of the film is pitch black dark or bright Californian sun. All of it, except for the one scene in the middle where the Marianne Deacon's body's taken out, where it's at dawn, sort of halfway between, you know, that's where the really... Reflective time is The only reflective time In this music For like two seconds Because Clint Eastwood Can't emote So they just shoot him From behind at <laughs> dawn <laughs> Well that's pretty much All I have for this minute guys Does anything else Stand out to you Jordan you know I love the wood I love the corrugated iron It makes me think of The bush Yeah
5: I want to circle back To the, the um, Point about people Having mental disorders And that explains Why they're the criminal Or the the bad element Of the film um, and I think audiences today find that um, they know people with diagnosis. And so it has a backfire effect where you're like, OK, this yeah. Scorpio fellow may have PTSD. Maybe my uncle does as well. And therefore, it doesn't work as an explanatory device because it just backfires. We know it's not connected with violence in all cases. So um, yeah, just to tie back that, I think that's a good quite enjoyed men before
1: yeah well todd many thanks for joining us
4: well thank you for having me i mean you know it's 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 so cool to get out and talk to other people doing this and i didn't even know you guys were in australia when you first approached so the fact ah. that now i can go to richard and sean and go you know what guys suck it i've worked with a, a group out of australia so it's pretty damn cool national <laughs>
1: <laughs> well thank you very much todd um hopefully it wasn't too painful you you enjoyed the movie legitimately like it was fun it was a good you liked it
4: well, again, yeah. I mean, I watched it in film school and it's, you know, it's one of those that we watched and we broke down. Why does it work? What does it do? You learn a lot from it. So watching it again was kind of a throwback to the nineties uh, of being in school and it was fun. I hadn't watched it just to watch it in a long time. So yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun.
1: I, I read the other day, Todd, that Frank Miller originally, he didn't, the whole reason behind Sin City, is this right? Was that he was disappointed how the series had ended, the Deadpool? So, in a way, yeah, the whole um, Sin City uh, graphic novel was sort of a recompense for that. Do you know anything about that?
4: No, I'd never heard that before. But, I, I, you know, Frank Miller is probably one of my favorites that... Ever did anything like that, and and if you guys know it, one of the guys that I co-host Men of the Apes with actually owns a comic book store where we record all the stuff, so trust me, that shoved down my throat, <laughs> and now I'm going to have to go back to him and ask him if he's ever heard that before.
1: Yeah, it could be a tenuous link, but I think the obvious truth is that there's a girl called Nancy Callahan in it, is that right? We'll have to get Richard yeah.
4: to- Yeah, there you go. That's interesting, very cool. Yeah. Well, you know, and then uh, Don Post, uh, director of Beneath the Planet of the Apes, goes on to direct uh, Magnum Force later in yeah. this series. So there, I found quite a few connections across the board.
1: Yeah, I had that ticks my mind. Now I'd forgotten about that. Um, one thing both movies share is credits in the '70s. The unions must not have had such a control. It's so weird. There's so so few many names, and I mean, famously in Planet of the Apes, some of the the judges are above who appear what for one or two minutes or above
4: the other you know astronauts and stuff it's weird how the right things are rated here yeah well that's a whole, you know that that's a podcast we can do another time if you know because i actually took the business of film in school and you want to talk about the weirdness of american cinema when those things broke and we don't do that anymore so you're absolutely right this is dipping into a bygone era of the way they did credits in america
1: yeah <laughs> I assumed back then unions unions had more power so there'd be more credits and less now but it's, it's the reverse. Anyway thanks for joining us Shane. Oh thank you. Thank you Jordan. you're welcome. And uh, Mandy thank you. thank you. All right we'll catch you next time on Dirty
0: Dirty minutes. the but hey, what's the point? A new man may clap as he lights another joint I can barely now remember my wife My police work is all I got I don't have a life Harry's had enough Harry's not enough Harry's had enough Harry's had enough What should my priorities be? Hanging the magnum up, breathing my rights I just don't give a fuck Wanna get under the hood skin Miranda rights never gonna get that going Harry's had enough, Harry's had enough Harry's had enough, Harry's had enough, Harry's had enough. Helicopter shots and magnum fights Slaughter darkness, voyeuristic action goes down at night Gratuitous news, me too prudes Laughing that hot dogs are my only food be fuck setting up all the equipment for the years on hey i just want something different word